Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Stepping Stone. Basically, this is a space for us to go deeper and reflect on our conversation from earlier in the week with Atuza Rubinstein while also having a little fun, too. We talked about what it's like to transition from a very public, high-profile career to finding personal success through a private space of healing. As you take some time to settle in and get snuggly and cozy here, I have a few things that I want to talk about with all of you. The first thing is that we are going to be taking a little spring break with the podcast next week, so we won't have any new episodes next week, but we'll be back the following week with new episodes, and we will resume our regular schedule then. So I wanted to let you know, little break coming up, but we're coming back. Also, if you didn't know already, I launched a newsletter last week. It's called One Step Wellness, and this is a project I'm so excited about. It's something that I feel really just personally connected to, and I know some of you didn't get a chance to read the first newsletter, so I wanted to let you know now if you're listening to this episode on Thursday when it comes out. My newsletter comes out on Friday morning, so every Friday there will be a new newsletter from me in your inbox. And so if you're interested in catching tomorrow's newsletter, which will be the second one, you can go to our Instagram, One Step Podcast, click the link in the bio, and there is a little button that you can press to sign up for the newsletter. Thank you so much to everyone who has already signed up for the newsletter. It's so amazing that so many of you just immediately signed up. It made me just feel really supported. And so I want to say thank you for that because that is a huge deal, especially when you're trying out something new creatively. So that just felt like a big hug from all of you. And I also want to say thank you to everyone who has sent an email. I have read them and they made me tear up and it just meant so much to me to hear your stories and to have a little piece of you shared with me after putting a little piece of myself in the newsletter. So thank you so much for that. It really, really just meant so much to me. Now over on Instagram, we recently asked all of you what you're interested in hearing in future episodes of the podcast. And we asked you to send in different topics that you're interested in. And the number one thing that came back was relationships. So now I would love to know what specifically around relationships are you interested in hearing on the podcast? We've already gathered some of your responses from Instagram, but I want to give you a chance to email us too. So you can email us at onesteppodcast at gmail.com and just let us know. I can give you some examples of the things that we've already gathered. So boundaries is a topic people are interested in. Friendship which makes me super excited, and also breakups. So those are three things that we've gathered so far. But if you would like to add to that or support one of those topics, email us at onesteppodcast at gmail.com. We also had our first virtual podcast club meetings last night. And for those of you who have been asking, we're definitely planning to host more. The tickets go very, very quickly. And we even added more spots after the first round to accommodate more people. So if you're interested in attending in the future, it's important that you follow us on Instagram at One Step Podcast because that's where you're going to hear about it first. And if you set your notifications to on, you have a higher chance of getting one of those tickets. 
All right, now it is time for ins and outs. I'm here with Christina Cleveland, our producer. Hello, Christina. How's it going? I'm doing okay. I think this is probably the same for you, but I realized that today for me marks 30 days in quarantine. Yep, I'm the exact same. Day 30. How are you feeling on day 30? Well, you know, it's another day, another day in my closet. That's how I feel. I have legitimately been spending so much time in my closet. And it's also just kind of surreal to realize that it has been a full month. And every day in my journal, I have a little number next to the date and I'm circling it. And today was 30. It just feels like in a way we're living in an alternate universe that is actually our reality. I feel that. And every morning I wake up and I'm like, was that just a bad dream or am I still in the alternate reality? So one of my ins is a way that I'm coping with our new reality. And it is lunchtime. I'm finding that Since we've been in this in-between, I'm starting to think of it as a kind of in-between time. I have been needing more structure to my days. I'm actually very consistent with breakfast and my morning routine. That hasn't really changed. But if I'm not careful, it'll be like 3.45 in the afternoon and I haven't eaten lunch yet. So this week, I instated a lunchtime, 1.30 happens at the same time every day. And it's like an actual break. I stop working and I'm making a real meal. Oftentimes it's just a sandwich and a side of carrots with ranch or crackers and hummus on the side. And it feels like a school kid's lunch, but I'm kind of really enjoying that. But just having a regular lunchtime is making me feel a bit more secure. Oh my gosh. It's so funny that you mentioned that as your first one, because my first in is also related to lunch. And I think it's because usually Christina and I, like before quarantine, we saw each other every single weekday for the most part. And so we ate lunch together. And so that was kind of an anchoring, very clear, defined middle part of our day. And usually we would put away our laptops and we would talk to each other. So then not having that, I've also felt totally thrown off with lunch and I'll emerge from my closet and realize it's 3.30 or 4 p.m. and I haven't eaten lunch and I just feel totally discombobulated. So lunch has been a thing for me as well and specifically Kraft Mac and Cheese. It was really hard to find because everywhere I went they had the Annie's Mac and Cheese and I didn't want the Annie's version. I wanted the original Kraft version and I found it and I was so happy about it because when I made it, it just felt like my childhood and that first bite was so glorious. O-M-G. And also, I learned recently after getting the Kraft Mac and Cheese, I wanted to learn more about it. It was created during the Great Depression. It was actually created as a non-perishable all-in-one meal that people could make in a box. And I had no idea that Kraft Mac and Cheese had been around for that long. And so there's a part of me that's wondering what amazing things are being created in this moment because I feel like it has to be happening. Someone somewhere has to be creating something so delicious that decades from now we are going to be so attached to, which actually just brought a huge spark of joy to my heart. I hope it's as good as mac and cheese. 
I know. Oh, and with hot dogs too. I've been adding hot dog to that. And I know some people are just like, oh my God, how could you add hot dog to macaroni and cheese? But in the episode with Atuza, adding hot dog to mac and cheese makes me feel fancy. That was something as a kid that I always thought was so fancy when I would go to my friends' houses and their moms would add hot dogs to my mac and cheese. I was like, I'm the fanciest person alive right now because I had never had that before. (laughs) So when I add hot dogs to my craft mac and cheese, I feel extra fancy. And this isn't so much fancy as just really biting into something from my childhood that I love to add ketchup to my mac and cheese. And it's a weird flavor, but it's something that I loved as a kid. And whenever I eat it now, I'm like, oh, this tastes like childhood. Like how much ketchup? Like the color of the mac and cheese is not orange. It's like pink. OMG. I'm going to have to try this. I'm actually really curious. There's a part of me that's thinking, what in the world does this taste like? But then another part of me thinks this could probably be pretty good. It'll probably be good with your hot dogs. I know. We'll see. This could be a new in for me. My next in is Christmas lights. It's something that I've been noticing on my night walks. Like I talked about in our last stepping stone, I've been taking evening walks and evening is a really good time to look into people's windows. I even before quarantine, I just love to see how people decorate and I've been noticing a lot more Christmas lights and I've even seen some Christmas trees and I don't know if they haven't taken down their Christmas decorations or if maybe people have put up lights to feel a little bit more joyful, but I think I might want to put up my Christmas lights again. I love that. There's something so cozy about Christmas lights. I've noticed that as well. And I think some people have had them up and they just always have them up. But I feel like I've noticed new ones going up. And I'm into this Christmas light trend. It makes the space feel warmer and cozier. And also can help create a difference between daytime and nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. My next in is actually something that I mentioned in last week's newsletter, but I couldn't really go into detail about it. So I'm going to go into detail about it here. And that is yoga. So my favorite yoga studio in New York City is Skyting Yoga. I loved going to their studios and they also have a really creative approach to yoga. Their studios are beautiful and I always just felt so welcome in their spaces and like I could talk to the people that were there. It definitely didn't feel like an environment where people would walk in, take the class and leave. People definitely connected with each other and I loved that. And so Skyting has had an online archive of yoga videos for at least the last year now. And it's through their paid service, Skyting TV. And I have been loving one of the videos through Skyting TV. And you can actually get a free seven-day trial by signing up and you can cancel anytime if you're curious about trying it out. But they have this 39-minute deep stretch that is absolutely incredible. And my goal is to do it almost every day. Right now, I'm kind of on this every other day schedule. But the reason why I love it so much is because it feels so good, especially during this time where I'm doing so much sitting and my hips feel so incredibly tight. Yesterday, I went into child's pose and normally my seat can touch my heels or get pretty close to it, like maybe a quarter of an inch away. And there were a good like six inches between my seat and my heels yesterday. And my my hips were just like, Ugh. 
what's happening? And so this 39-minute deep stretch has been incredible for just getting my joints to move, getting a really nice stretch in, and it's the perfect length. And it's not this super intense heated class. It's very slow. I love that you work on so many different parts of your body. So you kind of start with your hips and then you work to your shoulders. I'm just getting these amazing stretches in places that I normally don't get to work. And so I've really been loving that a lot. I think I need that. My hips and my shoulders actually are incredibly tight. And I've been trying to do at home yoga as well. But it's like I'm in a different body now. The things that used to feel easy, the poses that used to feel good are now quite painful. I totally agree. And that's why I'm really loving this because it feels like you have a way more spacious body afterwards. Like everything just feels looser and lighter. And there's this one point where Chrissy, one of the instructors says, enjoy your new hamstrings. And that's exactly what it feels like in that moment. So if you try it, when you get to that part, just know that that is like the ultimate moment for me where I had this realization of, oh, yes, I do have new hamstrings. (laughs) Sign me up. I need those. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my next in is also food related. (laughs) I'm realizing a bit of a theme now, but I kind of want to celebrate today being one month in quarantine because I haven't ordered takeout yet. I haven't gotten food delivered yet, mostly because I am having a hard time figuring out how to do it. I just can't find any restaurants that are open. But anyway, I've been cooking at home all of my meals and meal planning has become a big project for me. And so I have been using one blog, it's called Half-Baked Harvest, for pretty much all of the meals that I've cooked in the last two to three weeks. When I'm trying to think of what I want to cook, it can be so overwhelming. But if I just have one source, I'm just going to go through this one blog and pick out the recipes that look good this week. And I'll pick like seven meals from the blog. Then I'll write out the grocery list with all of the ingredients from those meals. It all becomes a little bit less overwhelming. What are your favorite recipes that you've tried? Well, last night, it was a really simple recipe with rice, which I've been eating a lot of rice, but the rice was crispy. So you just put a little bit of coconut oil and butter into the pan and then put your rice into the pan for 12 minutes. And by the end of it, it has this crispy shell on the bottom. And it just made eating rice like this whole new experience. It was so good. It had so much texture. It was simple and it was so good. And it was just rice. My mom has made me crispy rice and it's taking the rice that you've always known and loved and taken it to a whole new place. So another food related thing for me that ties into your in is having spontaneity and finding moments to be spontaneous. And I found that this has really circled around food for me because it's one of the only things, I mean, It is the only thing that I'm doing when I go outside aside from walking Tato. And so the grocery stores have become like my art supply stores. And so I've been allowing myself to have moments to be spontaneous 
within all of the meal planning that's happening. And this last weekend, I made dumplings. And this was something that inspired me when I had had dumplings recently that were frozen. And then I thought about potentially making them. And then I found dumpling wrappers and I grabbed them and just told myself, I can totally do this. And the whole experience of making dumplings turned out to be this creative process that I was not expecting. And I started having memories come up about my grandma. And she just made so much incredible food growing up. And she came from Thailand, but I was exposed to so many different Asian foods growing up. So I remember, you know, my mom making wontons and my grandma doing the same and sitting at my kitchen counter and filling these wrappers and then folding them and sealing them made me think of my grandmother and made me feel so deeply connected to her. And it was also just this very meditative process, too, because if you've ever made dumplings before, then you know that it takes a while because you think you don't have that much filling. But then once you realize that there's a small amount of filling that can actually fit in the wrappers, you realize, oh, I'm going to be here for a while folding some dumplings. And it was something that didn't involve a screen. I wasn't using a recipe. I was just going off of what I felt like doing and following that instinct. And it made me feel so creative and also just so deeply connected to these cultural and familial roots that I wasn't expecting that to happen at all. And so that felt really special for me. And I've been trying to tap into more of those moments of spontaneity whenever they reveal themselves to me. For me in my family, it was making lumpia, which is like little fried egg rolls. It would be kind of like an assembly line. So we're all sitting in a row and it's very much a time for gossip and just chatting. And so I also think it's interesting the idea of taking this kind of communal experience and trying it solo and having it be more of a meditative experience. So my next in is a show called Easy on Netflix. I think it's a pretty unique show. It's an anthology, so each episode is an individual story that's not really connected to the other episodes, and each episode features some sort of relationship. It's not all romantic relationships, but they are complex relationships. Some are siblings, some are friendships, some are neighbors, and I like that they all stand alone, so they're kind of like a short film in each one, and you might see the characters pop up in other episodes, but only briefly, and I really enjoyed watching the show. I actually accidentally finished it. I didn't realize that I was in the final season or the final episode because it doesn't really build like a normal TV season since they're all separate, so I watched the last one, and then I sort of felt like, wait, (laughs) wait a second, and I don't know anyone else who has watched this show, so I'm sort of like, Someone watch this show, please. Okay, I'll watch this show. (laughs) I'm actually looking for something new to watch because I finished High Fidelity and I'm really devastated and I don't know what to do with myself because I feel like nothing compares. So I took a little break and watched Kate and Leopold, which is a great romantic comedy that has to do with nothing at all. It is absolutely ridiculous and just so joyful. And so I feel like I could get into easy after having that little break between high fidelity. 
That's exciting. Also, I haven't seen Kate and Leopold, so I need to watch that. It's on Netflix, and it is a true joy. Erica had not seen it and joined me as I was about 15 minutes into it, and I was going to change it because Erica doesn't always love watching rom-coms, and I love them, especially ones from like the 90s and the early 2000s. And I went to change it, and she said, no, leave it. I'm liking it. So it's Erica approved, guys. That's a big deal with a rom-com. And it's also one of the most ridiculous ones, too. So I was quite pleased that she liked it. And I also love Meg Ryan's character. I love her apartment. It just feels so homey and comfortable and cozy. And it takes place in New York, too. Okay, so my last is journaling. I had this realization recently that everything in my life has changed in some way, but the only thing that has remained the same is journaling. That is the one thing that has stayed exactly the same, is my routine of getting up and writing every single day. It made me realize how many things in my life have changed. The things I'm eating have changed. How I'm grocery shopping has changed. The music I'm listening to, the content I'm consuming, the conversations that are being had, how I'm interacting with people. Everything has changed, but this has been the one thing that hasn't changed. And it made me realize how significant that was and how special the experience of journaling really is to me in this moment. And I think it was also a nudge of encouragement to keep going with it because there are days where it feels hard to get up and write something. I've realized that is part of the process and it's okay. This isn't meant for people to see. It's simply a place for me to share with myself what's going on inside of me and what I'm noticing. And it has been a profoundly insightful and comforting tool during this time. And to know that this is the one thing that I have right now from the pre-quarantine world that I get to take with me through this experience. I'm really excited that you said that one, actually, because I usually journal. And last week, I got to the end of my notebook and I have no more notebooks and I can't easily go buy one now. So for the past week, I haven't been journaling. And last night I was like going through my bookshelf, trying to find just a notepad, anything that I can write on for this in-between time. And I found an old notebook. And so this morning I journaled for the first time and I had actually used this notebook a little bit in like 2012. So there was some writing from 2012 and there was a little bit of writing from 2014. It was like a list of things that I wanted to do. And then day 30 of quarantine. So it was just a really interesting experience seeing my past self from 2012 who never could have imagined at that time I was in a relationship that I thought was the relationship. Then in 2014, that relationship had ended and I was a different person and I was living in a different city then. And today I started writing knowing that that version of myself would never have imagined where I'm living now. And also being in quarantine is like a reality that I could never have dreamed of. And I know that my future self, whenever I look back at this notebook, is going to be like, whoa, day 30. That was weird. Yeah, especially going from 2012 self 
to then jumping to 2014 and then jumping to 2020, that's going to be a notebook to reflect back on. And it's also, I'm someone who likes to save things. If I have a nice notebook, I normally don't write anything in it. So this is a nice notebook and I can see why I never filled it. And now I love that it's like a little time capsule. Oh my gosh. And I love that you're being forced to use your nice notebook in this moment too. (laughs) Okay. So I really have one main out this week and it is trying to let go of judging myself for how I look. Because I think the further we get into quarantine, the harder it's been for me to just not judge myself for how I am looking. And I'm realizing that I've just been really hard on myself in certain moments. There have definitely been a lot of moments where I recognize that I've been great with myself and really gentle with myself. And I'm really proud of that. And I've also noticed that there are moments where I've been really harsh with myself as well. And this kind of goes back to what we were saying in another ins and outs, this not being a time for a makeover if you don't want it to be. Like you don't have to look better coming out of quarantine than you did going in. But I think that, you know, just being on social media more has affected me visually. And so seeing really beautiful things can sometimes make me feel incredible and make me feel really joyful and inspired and creative. And then other times it can make me feel like I'm not doing enough. And so it's been a challenge to let go of that judgment, but I'm in the process of it. It's just really hard because I see so many people wearing like cute sweats and like sweat sets. And I'm like, I literally am a gray blob every day, some shade of gray. Like that is what I am. Like I have gray pants on today and then a black hoodie. And I just, I am some version of a gray blob every day, but that's like what I want to wear that day. There have been like a few days in between where I've felt creative and I wanted to put different outfits together and that's felt really great. But in terms of my sweats, it's a lot of gray and that's just what it is. And it's not really meant for other people to see. It's something that's just for me. And so I'm trying to just pull myself more into that space instead of trying to force myself into a space of needing to look a certain way so I can present that on social media. I'm trying to find who I am now in this moment and how I want to be presenting day by day because every day it feels a little different. I swear I have this written down on my notebook. I am not making this up, but my number one out for this week is wearing gray. (laughs) I just, every day I'm wearing gray We already talked about how I have one pair of sweatpants and they are gray and all of my shirts. I mean, I'm sitting in my closet, so listeners can't see it, but you can see that half of my closet is gray. So in normal life, I am very happy to wear neutrals all the time. I'm more comfortable in neutrals, but I've just been finding that in this time, 
wearing gray is kind of depressing me. And I've been feeling this very strong urge to buy colorful clothes online. And it's hard because I can see where that's coming from. And I know that color would make me feel a little bit happier right now. But I also know that that's not really consistent with my personal style. So I don't want to buy things right now that aren't going to make sense later. So I haven't, but I am also very tired of just being a gray blob. And no one can see me even when I go outside, my face is covered. But just being a gray blob is really getting to me. Oh, it's so interesting that we're both having gray blob experiences. You know, the one person who was wearing color that really inspired me was my mom. So I FaceTimed her and she was wearing what is now a very trendy sweat set. She was wearing this kind of lavender, like a sweatshirt and then matching pants. But this is from the 80s. And I remember seeing her wearing it as I was growing up. And it made me think that, you know, it's okay if I decide that I do want something more colorful, but I also don't need to be spending and I don't want to be spending $300 on one pair of sweats. If this is something that I decide I eventually want to experiment with, there are definitely really cool secondhand options to choose from. And clearly... This had been a trend already because my mom has saved her sweats. And to also know that those sweats are older than I am and that you can still be creative and find joy with things that are in your wardrobe or are secondhand pieces. It reaffirmed that part of me that loves being creative with what I have and exploring secondhand options and kind of quieted the voice that was like, you need to be buying something new and something that's like very on trend. It helped to quiet that voice down. I am embarrassed to say how much time I've been thinking about this, but every day without fail, I'm having the, should I buy a matching colorful sweatsuit? Is that what I need right now? And then I'll think, if I do, I don't want to buy from a big box store. I need to support a small brand. And then I start going through the small brands and they are over $100 for the bottoms and about $100 for the top. And then I'm looking at my cart and it's a $200 sweatsuit. And I'm like, should I really be spending this right now? And I've been looking at secondhand options too. And it's hard to find the matching set is my problem. <laughs> I'm just in this loop every couple days. I put them in my cart, then I back away. Why are the colorful sweatsuits coming for us right now? Why are they in our heads? Are they are they in anyone else's heads? Because clearly they are in Christina's head and my head. And they are they are really taking up a lot of space. The one thing that excites me about sweats and creating like a sweat set is creating my own. So not necessarily having one that's like super matchy, but I've kind of been thinking about what if I was able to find you know, a sweatshirt with an old cartoon that I really loved watching. And then I found some, you know, yellow pants to go with that. And the sweatshirt is, you know, green or something like that. But just having that color, but having it be 
a representation of myself and also something that I feel a personal connection to. I love that. And maybe I can find one that's still neutral, but unique in some way. I'll start working on that. This is a journey for both of us, clearly. I did not (laughs) see the sweatsuit thing becoming like such a big part of this, but here we are, everyone. It is what it is. Okay, so let's talk about the conversation with Atuza because both of us were beside ourselves when Atuza said yes to this interview because it started off as an idea and very quickly became a yes and then, oh my gosh, this is happening. It happened, but not in the way that we imagined it. Did not think we would be meeting Atuza in our closets. I know. What was your connection with Atuza like as you were growing up? I loved magazines when I was a teen. Interior design magazines, fashion magazines, I still own them. They're at my parents' house now, but it's like the one thing that I have told them not to get rid of is my magazine collection. And so with Atuza specifically, one big thing was that she had curly hair and no one else in the magazines at that time had curly hair. And she had big curly hair too. It wasn't like tamed or curling wand curly hair. And then also the way that she wrote her editor's letters, they were approachable. They felt real. They didn't feel like a million miles away from me. I didn't feel like there was any connection between myself and that world. But with Atuza, that was different. Yeah, I feel the same way. I always thought that she had the best letters from the editor, and I felt like she was a combination of a mom, a cool aunt, and a big sister. And I loved how open she was about feeling awkward on the inside, and it very much felt like she was still a teenager on the inside even though she was an adult on the outside and had this really high-profile public career. And in her conversation, I could 100% see that too. Like when she described walking into her apartment every day and being like, whoa, that moment, I was like, oh, you're still a teenager. (laughs) Yeah, that's totally a teen reaction to just be like, oh, yeah, this is cool. (laughs) How awesome would it be if we all walked into our spaces with that same elation. Especially now. I know. Not even on a daily basis, but maybe like once a quarter, even once a year, having that moment where you walk into your space. And I remember in my teen years, tying it back to the twinkle lights, I would take our Christmas lights and I draped them across the ceiling of my bedroom And I did this on my own. I have no idea how I got up there, but I did. And I remember walking into my room and that gave me the experience of, whoa, oh my God, this is so cool. And it was something so simple, but it made me feel that fancy feeling. I remember that feeling so strongly and I'm wondering how now I can tap into that same feeling. I think it would feel especially meaningful in a moment like this too. We'll both be stringing up those Christmas lights tonight. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Trying to impress our inner teens. But I actually think that is a really just tender place to be acting from, trying to delight and impress your inner teen because it doesn't really take that much 
to impress your inner teen? True. Yeah, for me, it was an inflatable seat. I had one of those and I just thought that was like the fanciest piece of furniture I could have ever imagined at that point. And I remember having friends over and like filming a talk show on the inflatable seat. Like those were prime times. I know. Oh my gosh. I totally forgot about inflatable furniture. Oh, what a great memory. Was that your loud neighbors upstairs, by the way? Yes. (laughs) I just heard this huge thud. I'm trying to come to a place of acceptance because I've realized that even though I'm praying that they move, it's just not very likely. So I need to accept them and welcome them in, even if it's midnight. Oh, well. When Christina had mentioned that in another episode, there were other people who chimed in about having loud neighbors. So at least we know there are other people out there going through the same thing. You know, one of my favorite moments in the conversation with Atuza, there were so many, but the one I kept going back to after speaking to her was when she talked about the windows. That is something that I really took away from that conversation. You know, the window that you grow up with that is often formed by your parents or whoever you are raised by or raised around. And then as you get older, how other windows can appear. It allowed me to connect the dots and realize that the magazine that she created was another window that popped up for me during a time where I felt so alone because my teen years were so traumatic and so painful. 17 was a space when that magazine arrived, I would go to my bedroom, close the door, and just disappear into this private world where I felt comfortable exploring who I was and just kind of escaping and looking at other people that weren't living my life. And I just needed that because I wasn't getting it anywhere else. The minute I closed that magazine, I felt like I was back in a world where I was alone and no one understood me. And I was isolated in grief and pain and anger. And going into that magazine just allowed me to see something else. Since that conversation, I've also been thinking about the windows a lot and thinking about what windows did I grow up with? Definitely a religious window, specifically a Catholic one, a view that you should not challenge authority. In my family, that meant not speaking back to anyone who's older than you, not asking why, never thinking that maybe you know better than someone who's older than you. It was very much about respect. And I think that's one window that you get out into the world. And in, say, you're working in a company, it pays to ask why and to ask questions and to challenge the way things are done. But it took me a lot of work to get to that point. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I feel like my window was made of a mosaic of glass That was just a hodgepodge of so many things where, you know, depending on the day, I was looking out of a different section and that was informing my view. And some of it was really creative and free thinking. And then other parts of it were just so rigid and very much in line with what you were saying, especially I think 
coming from my mom's side, having this mentality of don't rock the boat, just stay on a safe path, don't upset people. And I just always had this part of me that just like ruffling feathers a little bit. Like I always just like doing things a little differently ever since I was just very, very little. Like my dad had this story that he loved sharing that when I was, I wasn't even able to speak full sentences, but my dad had come into the room and I had just scribbled all over the wall and I turned around and looked at him with the crayon or whatever I was using in my hand and put up my finger and went, no, 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 and wagged it back and forth and then went back to what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that kind of sums (laughs) me up perfectly (laughs) just knowing that I was like ruffling my dad's feathers like turning around to him and communicating to him that I knew I was like gonna get in trouble for this and it wasn't something I was supposed to be doing but I'm going to do it anyway and expressing myself so it really helps now to have the visual of the windows that I have to look through now and the windows that I'm currently building and what I want those windows to consist of. Yeah, I was thinking about it as it relates to creativity. And I think that in my family, creativity is really embraced, but only as a hobby. So while there was very much a side of me that loved reading magazines and creating my own and making collages and decorating and redecorating my room. It was encouraged, but not as a way to build a career, just as a way to fill your time outside of work. Yeah. And I think that that is so common too, to have that experience like, oh, this is great, but only up to this point. Yeah. So that's another area where I've had to relearn like, oh, maybe I could pursue my creativity in my work. And I learned that through first working in industries that were not creative at all and realizing that there was a big part of me that was sad and missing. But it took that for me to learn that lesson first. I also think that's why it's so helpful for me to hear how successful people have navigated creative careers, how they got started, how they've gotten through dark or difficult moments. And I really loved hearing how Atuza dealt with criticism back then and also now. It really felt like she was in a good place with the work that she had done and feeling like she had done her best. And I sort of envied that in a way because I have a tendency to be so self-critical. And so when someone asks you know, how do you feel about criticism? And for her to so comfortably say, I don't care about that. I know that I did my best. That really made an impact on me. Yeah, I think, you know, hearing her talk about how she navigated the scrutiny and criticism while she was editor in chief, and how she is navigating contemporary criticism was really enlightening, because she also mentioned being curious about contemporary 
criticism and welcoming it and how she actually agrees with a lot of it. To have someone modeling curiosity around, you know, what people are saying now about her work in the past, I just really admire that. Yeah. And there is something so personal about what she was doing then, putting herself out there in every issue, and also coming on the podcast and everything that she shared. It is a very vulnerable experience to have your work be so personal. And I think for myself, what I was taking away from that was, you know, recording these podcasts is not easy. I will say that there have been times after we record where I'm sitting here thinking like, why did I say that? I'm going to have to go in and edit that out. Or maybe I should re-record that sentence because I didn't say it very well. And just these super critical thoughts, they're probably going to happen after this one. But to hear Atusa talking about getting through that was very encouraging. Yeah. And I have had those moments too, and I still have them where we stop recording and I think, why did I say like so much? Why couldn't I get the full sentence out? There's always something that I can find to just circle around and really pick apart. And hearing about her experience and how committed to her work she really was, I just thought that was so incredible. So that was our reflection on the episode, and now it's time to hear from one of you. Hey Ingrid, I just got finished listening to the most recent one with Atusa. I was really excited to listen to it because I was also an avid reader of Seventeen, both through old magazines at the library and stealing my sister's subscriptions and I definitely really appreciate that episode and it was very much a emotional roller coaster for me as well but to answer the question that you gave us at the end about you know how we are or I am letting my inner self flourish and everything for me it's definitely been for the last you know five or six years a struggle in that you know my hobbies and interests aren't necessarily mainstream I watch a lot of anime cartoons uh, I still like a lot of things that people would consider, a lot of people consider childish. And that has been something that I've felt a lot of shame for, um, not wanting to wear clothes that signify my hobbies, you know, like graphic t-shirts or anything that I like, feeling like I can't let people come to my room because of my posters or whatever, maybe music I listen to. And really my biggest motto lately has been if it makes me happy and it doesn't hurt anyone, you know, that's the most important thing. So I have become more, you know, you do you, I do me. So for me, that means watching anime and being really excited about childish things and not being afraid to bring up that I love cartoons and that I do have stuffed animals still because they make me happy and they're comforting and they're cute and I like cute things. And that's also been a struggle because you know, half of my personality is, you know, I listen to metal music and dress in dark colors sometimes. And I felt like I couldn't express my other cutesy side at all because, you know, it just doesn't fit. But now I'm more comfortable with, you know, some days I'm wearing all black, very tomboy look. And some days I'm wearing a bright colored dress. And I feel like that colorful side of me and the cutesy side of me is definitely coming from my childhood. I mean, my favorite color was pink when I was growing up. I loved horses. I had carousels on my wall everywhere. I had horses everywhere. And I just definitely drew away with that 
because of my social anxiety growing up from different traumas and stuff I had, maybe not similar to yours, but things that I didn't want people to look at me. I didn't want to draw attention to myself, even my posture. I'm turning 26 in a few months and I'm just realizing that my posture has been so bad because of my desire to just hide and not draw any attention to myself and just to be the smallest person physically that I can be. And that wasn't who I was growing up. I mean, I was a very energetic, enthusiastic, imaginative kid and somehow over the years just became more and more reserved, more withdrawn. So it's been kind of my struggle in learning to recapture that and get over some things myself that definitely affected my ability to express myself and feel self-worth and everything like that. So <laughs> I'm getting emotional now too, so maybe that will be then. But yeah, so I really thank you for what you do for everyone and the content you put out. And I mean, I've been with you since high school now. I used to watch your videos every single day since you're always like a little bit, obviously you're older than me, you're a little bit ahead and everything you put out has been so helpful. Okay, I need to stop. So thank you for everything, Ingrid, and see you, hear you next time. <laughs> so I just wiped away some tears, Christina. So you're going to have to go first responding to this. Okay. Well, thank you for sending that. I'm just so grateful every time one of the listeners is willing to open up and share. And for me, I sort of think about my life in some ways in two parts. There was a very outgoing, very confident young me. And then when I hit around 10 years old, that all changed. And I became very unsure of myself, very critical. And as I've gotten older and especially through doing some volunteer work with girls in that age group, because I do identify that as being a time when it all changed for me. As I've volunteered with them, I've learned that that is very, very common and that young girls go from being loud and taking up space and being confident to being pretty much the opposite around the time when you become conscious of the fact that your body is being objectified and when your body starts to change. So I kind of related to that story as the young, outgoing, colorful me, and then the me that came after that. And as an adult, trying to figure out where those two meet, like which one's the real me, which is the me that I'm trying to embrace now is introverted me, the real me, because I love that side of me. But there was also a side of me that on the first day of school, when I was five years old, my mom always tells me that I wrote up little business cards and took them to school and handed them out to all of my new friends to be like, here's my name and my phone number. Call me and let's make plans. Oh my God, that is amazing. Oh. First of all, what a little sweetie, little Christina. Oh my gosh, we totally would have been friends. I would have snatched that card up and been like, here's mine. <laughs> and mine probably had stickers on it too. Uh, an even bigger selling point. Like that would have really made me want to be your friend. 
I also want to say thank you to the listener who sent this voice memo in. It really made me emotional listening to it all the way through and especially at the end because I so deeply feel this and I really think that I didn't truly start grappling with these different parts of myself until I was 30, so last year. And you know, having these different pieces of myself that feel like they're in conflict with each other has just kind of been a theme of my life, but especially this conflict of I feel like I have this whimsical teenager and sometimes little kid inside of me that likes colorful things and really cute things. But then there's this adult side of me that's telling me I need to have an aesthetic and I need to be sophisticated and like I can do things that are slightly different, but only up to this point. And I remember being about 21 or 22. So I was already making YouTube videos at this point. And I was very open about liking stuffed animals. I remember just really being into pillow pets and being into things that were really cute and colorful. And I remember getting ripped apart in the comments for it. And people were constantly telling me, you know, you're 20 something, you need to be an adult, grow up. Like, this is just so terrible to watch. Like, just ripping me apart. Like, think of the worst thoughts that you could think about yourself and your little self. And that's what I was receiving in the comments people telling me to grow up, that there was something wrong with me, that I was doing something wrong, and that I needed to be more grown up and more adult, whatever that means. And I needed to let go of these things. And that deeply affected me because I was already feeling that inside of me. And so then to have it reflected outside of me, I really felt like there was something wrong with me. And I think because I have had a public career, I can see that kind of unraveling and this morphing into a self that wasn't completely who I wanted to be, who I felt like I was, where I started dressing in a way that was quote unquote more grown up or more sophisticated, which really just meant it was more widely accepted by other people. I kind of toned down the colors that I was wearing and I really heavily went into trends when that wasn't always what I was interested in. And I think that my coming out was a watershed moment for me in so many ways, but it really was the moment where I said to myself, I am letting go of who I think I should be, and I'm going to start stepping into who I really am. And so that was at 26. And it really wasn't until last year that I started embracing this little kid that is very much still inside of me, like fully embracing her. And, you know, I look around my office and I have little stuffed plushies of Pusheen everywhere that have all been given to me 
by friends. So they've all been gifts over the years because my friends know how much I just love Pusheen and I love just really cute, colorful things. And when they would ask me, you know, what do you want for Christmas or your birthday? I would be like, I just, I just really love Pusheen. And so they would give me a little plushie. And I have these plushies all over my office in different sizes. And it is a rebellion against this cultural influence to grow up and let go of the little kid inside of me because I am done with that. Because the little kid and the teenager inside of me is so important. Those are versions of myself that inform who I am as an adult. They make me better as an adult. They make me more in touch with my feelings, which make me more in touch with who I am. They bring me so much joy and whimsy. They remind me that it's okay to be angry and express that and that it's okay to feel sad and express that and to feel sorrow and express that. So having these plushies and these things that people, other people would look at and think, oh, that's not part of an aesthetic. That's not sophisticated. That's not grown up. That is my personal rebellion against the idea that we need to neutralize ourselves and sanitize our experience. Because I really think that those cute, colorful, whimsical things that are very much of the world of fantasy just make me better. They fill me up and they make me feel whole. And it makes me so incredibly happy to know that someone who's listening to this podcast is embracing this part of themselves too, because it is a process and there is so much unlearning to do. And I have so much more work to do, but it makes me excited because it makes me realize if these little Pusheen plushies have added this much color and whimsy to my office, just as it is, as I go through this journey and this process, just imagine the color and whimsy that is to come. And that makes me just feel warmth. It makes me feel goosebumps because it signals to me that this is where I'm meant to be. And this is the path that I'm meant to be on. And I actually get to be the one who creates my own aesthetic. I don't need someone else to dictate it for me. That is going to be it for our episode today. Thank you so much to everyone who is listening. And thank you to the listener who sent us that voice memo. If you would like to share a voice memo with us, you can always do so by emailing us at onesteppodcast at gmail.com. All you have to do is use the voice memo app on your phone or the voice record app make a little recording, and then send it as an attachment to us. And in our interview episodes, we have prompts for questions. So make sure you tune in to our next interview, which will be coming not next week, but the week after. It's also another teen-themed episode to connect with this one, and I'm really excited about it. And the question that I have for you in that episode is a fun one. So I can't wait for those voice memos. While you're here, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It really, really means a lot to us. You can find One Step on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at One Step Podcast to stay up to date. Thank you so much to our producer, Christina Cleveland, our sound engineer and editor, Tung Chen, and of course, my amazing studio. 
my closet in New York City. Take care, everyone, and we'll talk soon.